Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is Tuesday, the August the 16th. Um, there's a lot of noise going on, asphalt's being poured and stuff uh, for a parking lot where I live. So hopefully it'll be quiet for a while. I've had to shut some doors and turn on the air conditioner, which isn't really necessary, but to block out noise. So, uh, just kind of a day-to-day -day activity. Sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's noisy. So today we have, we're have we reading from Sharon Salzberg's book, A Heart as Wide as the World, Stories on the Path of Loving Kindness. And I've got two short stories that I'd like to read. I think we have plenty of time to do that and still sit. So. Why don't we read the stories first, and then we can sit. Yeah, I just keep liking her stories more and more. This is from the section called The Spirit of Meditation, and the first one is Anger. And I don't think that's the first one I was going to read. <laughs> Okay, it's not anger, not anger today. It's drop by drop. And then the story following that is called The Object of Our Desire. Drop by drop. During a meditation retreat, students often come to interviews ashamed and upset because they have had a hard time staying mindful, as though they had slid down a mountain and were wondering if they could ever crawl back up again. Sometimes it seems as if they are not sure they even deserve to try, having strayed so far from the path. But there is no distance at all to traverse to becoming mindful again, or loving or compassionate. We need simply to recognize that these qualities are already right at hand in each moment of awareness. In my own practice, one of the simple images the Buddha used has been hugely helpful. The Buddha said, the mind will get filled with qualities like mindfulness, like loving kindness, moment by moment, just the way a bucket gets filled with water, drop by drop. As soon as I heard that image, I clearly saw two powerful tendencies in my mind. One was to stand behind the bucket, lost in fantasy about how utterly exciting and wonderful it would be when the bucket was filled. Meanwhile, as I was lost in the glories of my someday enlightenment, I was neglecting to add the next drop. A, that's a good image, isn't it? The other tendency, equally strong, was to stand by the bucket in despair over how empty it was and how much more there was to go. Once again, not having the patience, humility, and good sense to add one drop right in that moment by being mindful. We may not only be lost in judgment about our own buckets, but also have a tendency to spend a lot of time peering over into other people's buckets to see how well they were doing. 
Is theirs fuller than ours? Is it emptier? What's going on over there? Actually, this process of comparison is misleading and irrelevant. First of all, what we see from the outside is our projection of someone's apparent experience. In fact, the bucket doesn't get filled by the accumulation of special experiences anyway. It gets filled by moments of mindfulness or moments of loving kindness. What is essential is not what happens to someone, but how they relate to what happens to them. Comparing experiences has nothing to do with perceiving anyone's depth of spiritual understanding or their compassion or awareness. Comparing ourselves to others or even to our own ideas of progress leads us to objectify qualities such as mindfulness and loving kindness, making them into something to be attained and held onto in order to make us into good people. When we objectify people or states of mind, we relate to them in terms of whether we have them or don't have them. Inevitably, distance or separation is created between some and something, or between self and other. Once there is separation, there is fear of loss, and we are once again in the cycle of clinging and anxiety. Mindfulness and loving kindness are not objects we can either have or not have. We can never lose them. We may lose touch with these qualities apart, but right here and now we can recover them. There is no remedial work to be done, nor any struggle necessary to try to regain them. In every single moment, regardless of what is happening, we can be mindful and compassionate. In an instant, the mind can turn and retouch these qualities to know them again. The process is one of recognizing that full awareness can be found in any moment. In this sense, the bucket is completely full with every drop. I really like that image. Mindfulness and staying in the present moment and being with what's going on at that moment is uh, the subject always, right? That's what we're always trying to be. This next story is a little bit longer, but it's, uh, it's, I think it looks good. The object of our desire. A friend of mine spent many years in a monastery in Korea, practicing with one of the most famous Zen masters of our time. At one point, she brought him to the United States. The one place he wanted to go to more than any other was Las Vegas. When she told me that story, I was shocked. He didn't gamble, did he? I asked. Oh no, my friend said. Many Koreans who had visited the United States had gone back and talked to him about all of the bright lights in Las Vegas. He wanted to go to see all the bright lights. The Zen masters in Las Vegas, the Zen master in Las Vegas was certainly having a very different perception of the scene than most tourists there. 
For most, the lights are alluring for what they promise. I could imagine the Zen master walking along with the crowd, unattracted to the promise, but greatly delighting in the lights themselves. Our world is rather like the main street in Las Vegas, glittering with enticing pleasures that we reach out for because of the happiness each one promises. But in order to develop a relationship to those bright lights that will bring us true happiness, we need to learn how to enjoy the display without being attached to it. The spiritual path, after all, is about happiness, tremendous happiness, but one that is not tied up with infatuation or confusion and one that is not subject to constant change. We all like pleasant experiences and are fortunate to enjoy them. But if we become lost in attachment, that enjoyment inevitably turns to clinging and then we suffer. At a Buddhist Christian conference I attended at Gethsemane Monastery in Kentucky, that's where uh, Thomas Merton lived, his Holiness the Dalai Lama was speaking about the tour of the monastery he had been given earlier that day. He began by saying that he was quite impressed with the mon that the monastery was able to support itself through the manufacture of cheeses and fruitcakes. Then, in the midst of this, of this formal presentation, with television cameras rolling, the Dalai Lama said, I was presented with a piece of the homemade cheese, which was very good, but really I wanted some cake. He laughed uproariously and repeated, It was so unfortunate, really I was hoping someone would offer me some cake, but no one did. This childlike candor was wonderful, with nothing manipulative about it. Clearly, he could be quite happy without a piece of fruitcake and some part of his state of happiness was the very ability to laugh at his desire for cake, as well as being able to speak about it unabashedly before dignitaries of two religions and a television audience. It is wonderful to get what we want, and we are fortunate when the fruitcake is offered and we can enjoy it. But when we want something out of an effort to feel to fill an aching desire within, looking for some sense of completion, then we are lost in attachment. We are trying to feel we are trying to fill an emptiness that no object can ever fill. Something such as pure awareness or deep compassion might fill it, but not any ephemeral object. It's a good definition of attachment, right? It's okay to like something and to want something, maybe even have a preference for one thing over another, but when we want something out of an effort to fill an aching, aching desire within, looking for some sense of completion, then we are lost in attachment. The message that we often receive from our society is that our lives are lacking. We do not have enough. We ourselves are lacking in some way 
and if only we would buy this one thing, then finally we might be happy. We, we very much want to find a stable, undeviating, secure happiness simply by obtaining something. For obtaining a thing is something we can sometimes do. Likewise, we hope that we can then keep what we have obtained from ever changing with something we can never do. Reaching out time and time again, we fixate on the person, thing, or experience that we desire and attempt to claim it as ours, trying to control it and keep it from going away. One of the amazing things about the mind is that it can become attached to anything. We, we all probably know that. Maybe we don't think it's so amazing anymore. We can be attached to a feeling of calm or we can be attached to intensity. We can be attached to crisis, catharsis, stupor, to anything. We think that we desperately need whatever is the object of our attachment in order to feel alive, to feel complete. The tremendous irony of attachment is that we become lost in this state of mind precisely because we want to feel connected rather than separate and isolated. We mistakenly believe that holding on will reinforce connection renewing and deepening it. Yet life itself is change. We may struggle in defiance against this in fundamental truth of impermanence. We may repair or remove or replace objects as we try to sustain happiness or try to convince ourselves that we are connected as we reach out to the next passing thing. But the happiness of true connection will remain out of reach. Attachment is taught as the first of the five hindrances that commonly arise in the mind, making concentration difficult and luring us away from mindfulness and into unconscious actions that ultimately cause us pain. The other four hindrances are traditionally known as I'll start over again. I thought I could, I didn't think it'd take that long to take a drink and swallow it. <clears throat> the other four hindrances are traditionally known as aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. <clears throat> the hindrances are the expression of our seeming <clears throat> separateness. When we misunderstand these mind states and compulsively follow them, they bring us suffering. However, when we work skillfully with them, including them in our field of awareness and compassion, they can actually provide rich ground for discovering our inherent connection to all of life. How do we work skillfully with attachment? Our tendency is to focus so strongly on the object of our attachment that we disregard the feeling of attachment itself. The bright lights are so distracting, so entrancing, 
that we get drawn in without noticing the tone of the attachment that we are experiencing. When we directly experience the feeling of attachment, we stop being so infatuated with it and we break the trance. When we can feel the pain of attachment in its naked form, in its naked form, we stop allowing it to rule our lives and diminish our capacity for enjoyment and connection. Regarding attachment, <clears throat> regarding attachment with mindfulness gives us tremendous courage. We not only enjoy the times we get what we want, but also we're not swept away by disappointment when we don't. Mindfulness gives us immense spaciousness of mind. We can relax from our habit of clinging, of reifying experience, of contracting our minds around what we want. It also gives us the ability to feel compassion. As we see the pain we and others are led into over and over again by the hindrance of attachment, Finally, we find that we do not have to hold on to something or always get what we want in order to be happy. We realize that courage, spaciousness of mind, and compassion are themselves the ingredients of lasting happiness. So I really like her stories. I'm skipping around, but uh, might begin reading things a second time so I might have to go and go in some order so why don't we sit we have about 10 minutes to sit hopefully you have you have 10 minutes to sit with us spaciousness of mind is a beautiful quality and um, sitting can help us develop that and working working with uh, attachment the way she's talking about is a really wonderful way so the more attached we are to things or people or a new experience you know i think sometimes uh, when people have enough material things their next attachment becomes experiences and it can be uh, those can become attachments just the same way that uh, having to have a lot of stuff becomes attachment. So that spaciousness of mind can be, uh, that's, that's, such, that's a thing that calls to me all the time. I don't know, I don't know how often I have it, but it's really, it calls, it calls to me. And the, the older I get, the more it calls. <laughs> so why don't we sit and just be with, be, experience that spaciousness of mind. Come to the present moment. Just let your posture, let your posture feel that it's lifting you up. No matter what you're doing, if you're sitting on the floor, on your back,
take a few deep breaths to bring your body and your mind together right in this present moment. I think that's the beginning of be being able to have that spaciousness of mind. We have to be present in the moment and bring ourselves into this moment. Our mind may be way in the future or the past and our body may be sitting here, but it needs the mind to make it feel present. And after just about two, maybe three deep breaths in and out, then just go back to your natural breath. And let the body breathe and be aware of the body breathing. If you know the practice of RAIN, is how we look at difficult emotions. We can do it in our meditation or we can do it um, just during the day if we have some difficult emotion come to us to sit down and do it. Brain is to recognize that, the recognition of that, of whatever is passing through you that you might want to label as a difficult emotion or some kind of stirring that you may not even understand. And then accept it. Don't feel like we ever have to be even in meditation. That's exactly what we're doing. We're accepting those states of mind and those feelings in our body that are arising. And then the next step is to investigate. And investigating just means doesn't it's not mental in this sense. It's just looking at different aspects of something, like walking around a statue and seeing it from different angles, different points of view. And we do that for a while, and then we return to a neutral state about that particular um, emotion. We may just need to look at it a little bit, not, not hang on to it from time to time. It will come back if we need to look at it again. But we return to neutral and just nurture ourselves. We may think, what do I need? What does this need right now? It's not a cure, but it might, there might be something that helps us deal with whatever that emotion is at the time. But when we're just meditating and there's, we aren't working with a difficult emotion, we're also investigating our breath. Be aware of each breath in and out. See how the breath changes. How the in-breath is different from the out-breath. So we are investigating the breath. It's always there for us, but it changes all the time. It may be a long, smooth breath. It may be shorter. 
The in-breath may be long and the out-breath short, or the reverse can be true. And one breath may come out of more shallow and another may be deeper. Staying with each breath is staying in the present moment. Allow yourself to relax. You'll see thoughts arise, but just let them go. Don't be angry with them. Just let them go because right now we don't want to get sidetracked with other thoughts. Let them come and let them go. Don't be disturbed by that at all. As we come to the close of our time together, we can send merit May everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, 
but for the benefit of all others everywhere. We can be a refuge for ourselves and how we are in the world can always be a refuge for others. May all of you be well and happy and contented and feel at peace. Thank you so much for being a big part of my practice. And I'll see you Thursday.